Hey, everybody. It's uh, me, Jim Pinto, with uh, Paco Garcia. Hello. And we're doing the RPG room, except I'm introducing it, so I've got my own <laughs> style, apparently. There's, I don't even know if we're going to have music at the beginning of this or not. I don't know how it gets edited. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll edit it. I'll add some music later. That's, that's fine. Don't worry. Yeah. By, by so now, they have heard it. What's that? By now, the, the listeners have already heard the music. Fantastic. See, I don't even know how this works. For people that don't know, Paco is in Spain and I'm in the United States, and we have actually never been in the same room together. No, we haven't. And so we've been doing this all this time across continents. Isn't technology ocean. amazing? So that's a horrible introduction. Hey, that's a perfectly valid uh, introduction. <laughs> I am not going to slant it. That's absolutely fine. Let our three listeners decide if that was a good introduction or not. Um, I should also add that before we started recording, Paco called me honey. Yes, I did. And, I, and I'm not giving any context to why he did that. <laughs> I think it's funnier if you don't know. <laughs> but it was the first time I think we... Uh, we either crossed a barrier that we shouldn't have or we bonded in a way that I don't know. I don't know how his husband feels about this. So uh, he, he hopefully will he's not listening. No, uh, he will never know because I will not tell him. Um, <laughs> that you called me, honey. Yeah. Fantastic. He, he, he would feel quite bizarre about it. Probably won't give a shit, but <laughs> it would feel strange. We can make up any story we want to. Yes, I think next time I'll call you sweetheart. Let's. Uh, anyway, I, we're going to continue. Today's topic is uh, cultural appropriation. A little mm -hmm. bit. We're continuing some of the discussion we had last time about culture because we got off the rails. And then Paco and I got attacked online by a woman who didn't understand what we were talking about and clearly just wanted to fight. Oh, ouch! That's a little bit harsh, isn't it? I think she. I think she. She understood what we were talking about, but I think she wanted to fight. And I don't know why, because we weren't going out of our way to hurt anybody. And we were actually trying to understand all this and give context to things. And if we get something wrong, that's one thing. But to call us out for being, I don't know, racist or whatever her point was, that's that's going too far. Well, to be honest, I don't know. To be perfect, I don't know exactly what, what her point was. I think um, she just... Uh, assumed that we were two white privileged guys and uh, we were talking about cultural appropriation. In, in, in this particular case, she, she was referring to how you said that you could understand Indian culture better than the average because you have immersed yourself in it and you really, really like it. Uh, and apparently the way that we approached the subject for, for the few minutes that we talked about it uh, we did it in a, in a way that she found to be insensitive and very white, um, white, basically. Yeah, very Caucasian, yeah. I guess. White. I don't know. Okay. So, and I guess that invalidates our perspective because of our ethnicity, our skin color. Isn't that just as culturally appropriating, if that's even a thing? And I don't believe it's a thing. We've talked about this before. I don't really believe that's a thing. Thing. Um, we've been sharing culture for 250,000 years. So I don't know how you appropriate a culture when that's how you learn from one another. I guess I can't be empathetic about what goes on in India because I'm not from India for fear that I might be appropriating their emotions. I don't but, know. Um, I, I have mixed feelings about all this cultural appropriation thing because I think... 
um, more often than not, people claim cultural appropriation when in reality what they're complaining about is cultural misrepresentation or cultural misappropriation. Uh, mm-hmm. which, which is a different thing altogether. But it, it would appear that, yes, there are some people out there who, for whom if you step into another culture for whatever reason and uh, to, for whatever purpose, you're, you're wrong in doing so. And you should never, ever do it. Ever, 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 ever. Which I think is complete bullshit. I think it's absolute nonsense uh, to, to say that. And, and I say this for full disclosure, I am not fully white, okay? I do have white skin, white skin privilege, uh, but I, I am not white. My great-grandmother was gypsy, uh, and, and I, I am part gypsy, and I consider myself quite, you know, quite close to that. Um, because why not? Gypsies are amazing people, uh, and they have amazing culture, and they have amazing customs. So um, I'm not white. I'm sorry if anybody uh, is, is so prone to think that I'm white just because I look white. Uh, dude, Check it out. I I'm going to say two things right now. One, the topic we're getting into today is going to be a landmine, mm-hmm. and I don't know how we we address this without hurting feelings or saying something wrong. So we need to put a caveat out there that we are not evil people intending to harm anyone. Two, I get really tired of buzz phrases like white privilege that are used to just shut down conversations. The, the enemy is not somebody in your same class that has a different skin color than you. And the more we point out our differences with one another, the more we're designed to get not get along with one another. I, I go out of my way to say hello to people in their language because I know if they're a first generation coming to this country that they don't feel included 100% in the American culture. And so it is a step I have always taken. That said, it's a little bit racist for me to do that, right? And I accept that as part of the process of me going and saying hello to somebody in Hindi or Punjabi or in uh, uh, Arabic or whatever language. I, If I choose to do that, it is a little racist, but I don't care because my intentions are right that I'm trying to make somebody feel included. Um, but to be called – to say that it's cultural appropriation for me to – try to empathize with somebody or to engage in their culture or eat at their restaurant or to talk about their society. I I don't know. I think, like I said, this is a landmine today. And I'm going to let you take the reins today. That's um, absolutely, absolutely fine by me because I have, um, uh, for, for the record listeners, uh, and I just really want to make this very, very clear, uh, not just for this episode, the podcast, but for any other. I know that some people feel very offended when somebody else has opinions that are differing or contradicting the opinions that you may have. And I'm going to make I'm going to say this very clearly. I don't care if you are offended by the thing, by the things that Jim and I say. <laughs> Own your offense, that is your problem. Okay? Right. I care if you are hurt by the things that are being said in this show. And I don't right. want to hurt anyone because there's already enough hurt out there. I, I don't want to contribute to that. But if you are offended by something that we have said because we think differently than you, um, because we have approached a topic in a different way, as far as I'm concerned, what tough shit. Okay, for my money, if what I have an opinion about is something optional, like your religion 
your lifestyle, your politics, your music, your games, your clothing, your hobbies. If they are optional things and you are offended because I say something that offends you, tough. If I say something <laughs> offensive about something that's not optional, like your gender or your sexuality, or whether you have hair on your head or not, then that's fair enough because that's not something you have control over. But your choices, if my opinions about your choices offend you, Okay. So, um, so yeah, that, that's 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 my take on it. So, um, let, let's go for it, Jim. The, 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 lead the way. We we're going to talk about uh, cultural appropriation. Uh, we're going to talk about cultural appropriation, yeah. and and he, we're going to let's take a step back before we can even do that. Okay. Let's talk about the fact that the gaming industry is changing at a rate I believe faster than the culture around us is changing. Yes. I think that there are a number of discussions that go on in the social advocacy movement that bring in all of this dialogue, constant stream of dialogue, into this hobby. And I hear it, and I listen to it, and I pay attention to it. I don't agree with all of it. I don't think I should be expected to agree with everything that I hear. But what I want to hear from you, because you, when we were talking the other night mm -hmm. privately, you said, I'm a social justice warrior. Yes. And I want you, I want to hear you explain to the listeners what you think you mean when you say that. Um, for me, a, a social justice warrior is somebody who will call out uh, any kind of social injustice that, that happens out there. Uh, whether it is by accident or whether it is um, because the perpetrator decided to do so voluntarily or willingly, it's, I, I am someone who will strive to call on that bullshit and try to do better myself. You know, I, I am a deeply flawed human being and... Uh, a few years ago, not long ago, I, I was a complete asshole. Complete and absolute <laughs> asshole. Because I, I didn't understand an awful lot of things, you know. It's, it's, very, it's very hard when you are not able or, or prepared, as in, as in be, yeah, being able to have the capacity to empathize with other people at their level, not at, the, not at your own level. So for me, when I see, and because I have been the, the victim of so much... Um, discrimination, both in and outside the hobby for, for being a gay man, um, I feel the need to actually call on the bullshit and, and have the discussions and have the arguments with whoever I have to have them in order to raise awareness. That, that, that is my fight. It's, it's one that I take on because I, I feel is, is important. So I, I think that, to me... Some people may have a different approach or definitions of what a social justice warrior is, but that's what it is for me. Why then, if if gaming is supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be an inclusive hobby and it's supposed to – doesn't even have to be inclusive necessarily, but it's supposed to be. And it's supposed to be engaging and it's supposed to form community. Why then is there a constant barrage of noise on both sides of the social justice issue in this hobby? Because this hobby is more than a game for an awful lot of people, including those of us who play it. Uh, I believe, and, and this I say after having met a number of people within both the industry and the fan base in different countries, but I believe that there is a certain amount of social ineptitude within role players uh, and gamers in general. 
Now, mm-hmm. there, there is admittedly, there is social ineptitude in, in pretty much any hobby out there. You know, if you, if you go into the, the game, not the game world, but your pardon, the music world, you will see there's a huge amount of, of social ineptitude. So this is not just us, but it's something that, that happens. It's, it's us. And when we go into gaming, and I have to point out that there is a massive um, generational difference here. When we went into gaming, people of our age, uh, Jim, you and I, you know, people in our late 30s, 40s, we lived in a vastly different society than we yeah, are living on yeah, today. Okay. And for most of us, even if we are in different countries, you're in the US, I was in Spain at the time, RPG was a refuge. It, it, it was, for me, a safety net, a safe place that made me feel welcome, it made me feel wanted, and it made me feel that the shit out there didn't matter so much. So it becomes a very, very right. valuable space. Very right, valuable. Right, right. I think you make an excellent point, but go on. I don't mean to interrupt, but I think that that is probably the crowning point that we're going to have today. Okay. Now, nowadays, I cannot say why or how people who are 15, 18 years old get into RPGs. But having seen what I have seen in different game conventions and at my cafe, I would say that that safety space is still there for an awful lot of people, whereas others, they are just there because it's fun. Uh, and we are in the generation of fun. People just want to have fun. Right. So the, the, those of us who complain about sexism, homophobia, racism within games, we do so because it's painful. It, it is very painful for us to see a game that is meant to, it's meant to make us feel safe. It's meant to make us feel in, in a place that we want to be. And suddenly you can be gay or being gay is a bad thing. You know, it's, it's a curse to be transgender. Sure. You know what I mean? It's, it's not yeah. wrong. It's not wrong. And for people uh, of a of younger generation, um, I reckon they just don't probably care that much. And, and those who do is because they go through the same thing and they want to have that safe space. They really want to have that safe space. Now, then we are, we, we are I believe, on the other side. People who um, literally go out of their way to want to put um, transmisogyny and homophobia and sexism within their games because, hey, my game, I do with you whatever the bloody hell I want. You know, and, we, and I call that bullshit out. Because one thing is to have a game that you want to explore racism, you want to explore homophobia, you want to explore uh, sexism, you want to explore anything at all. As a, but the game is the tool for exploration. And a different thing altogether is to have a game where that's just there because the person didn't think about it and doesn't give a shit about gay people or, or transsexual people or, or, you know, or black people or whoever. There's a difference. So I think that that social advocacy is because those of us who complain, we want to have safer, better games because they matter to us an awful lot. It's more than just a game. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it all it all makes sense. I think I, I'm going to say a lot here, okay. um, but I think the 80s were different for us when we were gaming because we were desperate to find people who also did it. It wasn't easy to find other gamers who did it, but we loved the hobby. It was our thing. It was our passion. We didn't treat video games the same way we treat role-playing games or board games or war games. All of that was we needed different groups to do those sort of things sometimes because our friends had different tastes, so to speak. And so we were desperate to find the people that did the things that we wanted to do. And I think we treated the hobby with a little more respect back then. Mm -hmm. And even if you had a friend who had Asperger's or autisms or some sort of social awkwardness that they couldn't, they couldn't interact with people easily, I'll, I'll just say easily, um, you still treated them like a friend because they were part of that community. I can't say that everybody did. I can't speak for everybody else, but I just know that I always treated everybody as fairly as I could, even though I didn't know anybody that was gay growing up. They might have been gay, but I didn't know they were gay. Does that make sense? It does, yes. In the 80s, you just didn't know because it wasn't talked about. But I I don't remember freaking out the first time I found out somebody was gay. I don't remember freaking out the first time I found out somebody was uh, uh, was going through their a, a gender identity crisis. You know, they were trying to find out who they were at a time when you didn't have a word for transgender, right? Mm -hmm. I don't remember freaking out about any of that. So to see this hobby going through this growing pain now when it doesn't make any sense to me to have these constant conversations about our differences when so many games allow you to be whatever you want that's the hard part for me right because i've always wanted to be that guy that just games with whoever wants the game whoever loves the hobby whoever wants to be at the table they should be allowed to be at the table and and there is there's something to be said for that um, as, as well, you know, I, I personally choose very carefully the people I play with, but I can understand all the people who have been hurt, um, whether it's been directly by their experiences around the table or simply they have seen somebody who've been hurt or they've been hurt by parallel, you know, tangential experiences around gaming. Um, I, I can see why people would want to would want to complain about that and call that out. But also, uh, and, and this is where it becomes a, a lot trickier. I believe that because gaming is so important to some of us, the problems, the problems that we find within gaming, you know, when, when we are, when we see the sexism and the racism, I believe a fair amount of that seeps out into our day-to-day -day behavior. And that I find worrying and unacceptable. You know, if you are told, to give you an example, if you are told in a game where you can throw fireballs from your fingertips that women are weaker than men, why would you believe that? is different in the real world when people are constantly also telling you that women are weaker than men. You know, it, 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 it continues the narrative. And when a woman wants to play a character that's a female, if somebody's saying, oh, no, no, you cannot be as strong as, as this paladin here because you're a woman, that goes beyond what I was talking about earlier, the offensive. That goes right. into the painful. Okay. So 
this is this is the question you know I'm going to ask because mm-hmm. I'm always sort of middle of the road on these sort of things. Why does it matter if one person or ten people or a hundred people put out games that are shitty like that or that treat people poorly when there are alternatives? Why does it matter? Well, as I said, because they can seep into society. You know, these these let's say that these hundred games are being played by a thousand people. That thousand people could be validating their toxic behavior and their toxic beliefs based on a game, and they could be making the experience for somebody else unpleasant. And they might be putting people off gaming altogether. Sure. And I I certainly fear that, right? I've heard tons of stories. Women will tell me uh, my very first game experience, and it was this horrible experience where men were abusive and verbally abusive, not Mm -hmm. physically, obviously. And they still kept coming back to the hobby. And it's sort of admirable, right, that somebody would love gaming that much that they'd want to come back after being treated that way. Um, But a part of me still wonders, can we really – can we really – modulate and control and administrate every gamer out there, every designer out there, isn't this sort of alternate perspective? I'm not going to call it toxic because that's a judgment statement, but it's an alternate perspective on how a game should be made. There are people that are still thinking the way we did in the 50s about the differences between men and women as opposed to how we think about them now. Okay. Do, are, are we always going to be trying in this hobby to change people when – the problem is so much worse in the real world? Well, I think it's not a matter of changing people. I think for me, it's a matter of raising awareness. Personally, I believe if you want to put out a game out there that is horribly sexist and and racist and homophobic and whatever it is, go ahead. Go go ahead. You know, you, you are perfectly entitled to publish whatever the hell you want to publish. But I am also entitled to call you on your bullshit. And, and, right. and can you see what I mean? And that, but that no, is- absolutely. And I, I, but I think that's an important distinction, right? Because a lot of us hear this all the time. And I'm, I believe if you go through my work, you're going to see that I've been doing it right, or at uh, yeah. least as close to right as I possibly can without being gay or a woman or black. I, I try my best in all of these categories to, to, to treat things properly and with respect. But I'm also one of the people that's hearing this all the time. And my message always back, we talk about this all the time in private, mm-hmm. Paco, is why aren't you supporting the people who are doing it right? But people do. That, that, that's the thing. People do support people who do right. You know, get games from um, Steve Kenson. You mm-hmm. know, he, he's a guy who a lot of people support. Because he's doing it right. There's an awful lot of indie games out there that people support because they are being put by, by, in the right way by the right people for the right reasons. So those games are supported. Now, maybe they don't get the popularity, but they do get the support. So as far as I'm concerned, don't get me wrong, uh, if there is a game out there that advocates for something like rape and, and openly says you should be a racist, I think that game should be taken out. Because that is not freedom of speech. That That's hate speech. And, you know, screw anyone who publishes something that glorifies rape or glorifies racism. That, that is just f- fuck them. 
Simple as that. There is a okay. th there's a difference between putting. I think we can all agree that we know where the difference is. I think everybody's scared of the slippery slope of what else gets. And I'm not saying that I'm afraid of the slippery slope. I'm saying people get afraid of the slippery slope of what's next. What are they going to censor next? That's where these arguments get really murky and ugly. And we don't have to go any further than that. I just wanted to put out there that that is where this fear comes from and why these games get made, right? It's to remind people where the boundary of free speech is. And that's a difficult one, I think, we have to learn. Because one thing, and this is going back a little bit into the culture that um, we, we are meant to be talking about, the freedom of speech and what kind of speech you're free to say changes from country to country. Yeah. Okay, and, and this is something that we, we need to start understanding that you are in the United States and you have certain cultural references that for you are acceptable and some that are not acceptable. For me... I am in a completely different bloody continent and things I say may have a different meaning that's perfectly acceptable. Right. And I can give you an, an example of this. Recently, uh, I called somebody, a celebrity in the UK, I call her a cow. Okay. I call her a stupid cow. <laughs> okay. Now, somebody immediately also attacked me because calling a woman a cow in Brazil is possibly the worst thing you can call her without calling her a whore. Wow. Exactly. I didn't know that, actually. Well, I'm fine. Fair, fair enough. In, in my country, in Spain, when you call somebody a cow, A, you can call a man a cow. Or you can call a woman a cow, because a cow is a person who eats without manners and belches a lot. And is not very <laughs> clever. That's interesting. You know? You, you, eat, you can either eat like a pig or like a cow. Right. You know, and, and so I call her a cow. Now, this person would just not let it go, even though when I say, look, this is the meaning I've given to this word. It's not the meaning that you give to the word. Right. And fair enough. Or, or, you know, if I find another Brazilian person and I'm talking with somebody with Brazilian in Brazil or something like that, I will try to avoid the word because I know it has a different meaning. But for goodness sakes, that's... Don't, don't, don't really think for a second that I am going to use the meaning that you give the word just because it is your country that uses the word in that way. That is cultural imposition. That's not cultural appropriation. That's cultural imposition. You right. must give the word the meaning I say because my culture says so. Well, keep it to yourself. Well, that's a perfect segue to what my next question was going to be about, was to get to our topic at hand, which is what is in the context of role-playing games and the culture within those role-playing games, both inside and outside of the game, what does cultural appropriation mean to you? Um, okay, I have to admit that for me, cultural appropriation is not a massive issue. Okay, I, I don't feel threatened by people using my culture. Um, you know, um, being part gypsy, I am very keen on flamenco. I, I absolutely adore flamenco music. And um, flamenco is huge in Japan. There are fantastic flamenco Japanese players and fantastic flamenco Japanese dancers. Really, really wonderful people. Now, some people would consider that that is cultural appropriation because what the hell does Japan have to do with flamenco? 
Nothing. Nothing at all. Right. I don't care. I absolutely love to see Japanese people dancing music that I feel identified with. And I love to hear flamenco guitarists. Love it. So I don't, I'm not afraid of cultural appropriation. I don't care. I don't mind. I actually welcome if a Japanese person talks about flamenco and writes a book about flamenco and writes flamenco music. Love it. Absolutely right. love it. However, and this is, I think, where people actually begin to complain and don't complain in the right way. If some Japanese person came to me and said, this is Japanese music, this is not flamenco, and was playing flamenco, I would learn the Japanese words to say, fuck off. <laughs> can you see the difference there? No, I, I can. I can. I think, I think there's this taxonomic puritanical view about anything hobbyish any our music right i grew up listening to heavy metal mm -hmm. and so anything van halen wasn't heavy metal van halen was hard rock and you if you called van halen heavy metal in front of me you were going to get an argument oh dear. right seventh grade that's what you do that you argue about the things that you love and you're passionate about i think eventually you either stop caring or you start caring more depending on how fixated you are on your hobby and so I can see your position. I also probably wouldn't care if they wanted to call it Japanese music. Um, at the end of the day, they're keeping that music alive. It, 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 I, I don't know how to finish that thought, but they're keeping that music alive in case the culture that produced it died out. Does that make sense? Yes, but then you're actually helping the culture die because you're not perpetuating it. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, so that is why I would have an issue with it. Um, you know, it's, it's exactly the same as when, you know, um, here in Valencia, paella is a massive, massive thing. And somebody in the UK, um, a chef, decided to publish a recipe that uh, he called paella and uses ingredients that a Valencian person would never use in a paella. <laughs> you know, it's a, silly, right. it's a silly thing. But people will come to Valencia tomorrow and order a paella, and if they don't find the ingredients that this Blanca gave them, they're going to say, oh, this is not the authentic paella because Jamie Oliver said that this thing has to have chorizo. Well, <laughs> no, you know, you're, you're perverting paella. Right. You, you, you are misusing my culture. You, you are misshaping it um, because you don't understand where paella came from. Right. Just and and th this is why words have meaning, right? This is why Correct. things are valuable in a taxonomic manner because when you're calling something, if you say I'm making ratatouille and there's no eggplant in it, what the hell? I mean we could go on and on with the list of things. If exactly. you make a role-playing game and you say it's fantasy and there's no elves in it and there's no northern Europe in it, people get confused immediately Yes, because that is the standard of culture cultural appropriation we are used to and that actually is cultural appropriation right every time you see a tolkien-esque fantasy society you're appropriating ideas from someone else that developed the the original core idea of a fantasy world if you will Definitely. and fantasy goes back long before tolkien but tolkien's the derivative from which we draw uh, derive all of the uh, all, all of the, the the modern takes on fantasy yeah, certainly. so Go ahead. So, no, I was going to say, and I think you said to me this the other day, there isn't a single fantasy RPG out there that doesn't do some sort of cultural appropriation. Right. That there isn't. 
Yeah, there isn't. You know, that, that's the way it is. Because if it didn't, then it would be alien. It has to borrow something from the real world. Otherwise, everything is weird. None of it is anything that we can trust or understand. And it's not a fantasy game if it doesn't borrow something from the real world. Exactly. And this is the argument I think that the grognards and the old guard make about why they want games that have rape and why they want games that have women that are weaker and why they have games where people can have slaves and so on. Despite how uncomfortable these topics are for people, they want that realism because their fantasy worlds are derived from an historical pretext. And modern gamers don't give a crap about historical pretext. Most modern gamers. I think our listeners care. But I don't think the average gamer gives a shit about what a trebuchet really was, the difference between that and a ballista. I really don't think they care. Some some people might, but I agree, not not very often. How, however, the, the thing is, from my point of view, the people that I mingle with who don't want to see the rape and everything like that, it's not that they object to seeing rape is that they object to seeing the um, trivialization of rape the trivialization of of of, of racism well that sure I, I think as soon as you put it into the game and you don't make it something to examine you've trivialized, trivialized exactly. it right it there was a great game company called janus a long time ago that made a cyberpunk adventure about rape and they had this huge disclaimer at the very beginning talking about how and why they were examining this topic and they think it deserved to be examined. And right from that moment, you knew that this was an important adventure and it was going to be a, a turning point in how people published adventures. It turned out that not a lot of people noticed it, but I did. And I thought it was going to be something big. But if they had just talked about rape in a paragraph inside their source book about Toronto, mm -hmm. that's trivializing it immediately. Absolutely. Because you're you're not you're not examining it. You're just saying it exists and it's okay. Exactly. So that that is uh, that that is why people complain about it. It's not that rape doesn't have a place or racism doesn't have a place in gaming. No, all those things have a place, but they have to be the right place. Not having it there because you think it's a cool, you know, and perfectly valid uh, literary resource. You know. Also, it is tired. You know, yeah, we, it's, it's lazy. It's, it's lazy. lazy. We are tired of rape. We are tired of racism. We we are tired of seeing sexism. What is the freaking point? It's lazy. It's bad writing and bad design. Yeah. I I think every single time I hear these stories about some somebody being mistreated at a game convention by some other asshole, I think to myself. If, if you make it about racism or you make it about sexism, instead of just calling it uncreative bullshit, I, I, think, I think calling out uncreativity, people that lack creativity, if you call it out for that, that really forces them to think about who they are and what they're, what they're saying and what they're doing, right? But if you call them a racist, they're immediately going to get defensive. Well, but the things that they are. That, that, that is the problem, you know, and, and there are some games out there that are racist. I mean, there, there is a, a fellow, I think it's a Norwegian guy or something, I can't remember, but he's a white supremacist who, who wrote a game recently, and even if I could remember the name of the game, I wouldn't say because I really don't want to give this guy any air. Right. But he wrote, and, and I was, oh, holy shit, you are a piece of shit. He literally wrote, change the name from Gypsy to something else. 
and put them as a, some sort of sub-race of humans. Wow. Exactly. You know, uh, and um, they, they were people who were meant to be, you know, lesser. And if you kill somebody like that, you should wash yourself because they're so dirty. Okay. So how much of this... And let's start, maybe the term is negative cultural appropriation we should start using or cultural abuse. How much of this cultural abuse exists now and won't exist in 10 years inside the hobby? I think there is a lot more about it now than there will be in 10 years' time. Because in 10 years' time, I think we will have learned an awful lot. We will have new designers coming in who are more clued up. And I think also this awareness that's been raised at the moment about you know being more inclusive being richer within your environment it's going to create a better quality of gaming that people will have to emulate in order to uh, to, to be able to be recognized as good designers you know i don't think anyone in 10 years time who comes up with a game saying women only can have up to 16th in strength is going to be recognized as a good designer ever right right um, so then let me ask this question because this is, this is sort of the, the niggling part of all of this for me is there's this presumption all the time that if you're the social justice warrior, you're automatically right. Um, and let's just presume for the purpose, the, the purposes of my argument here that you are right. You are, you're more, you're a more moral person. You're more sensitive to this stuff. You're paying more attention. So the social justice warrior stance is the correct one. Why then does it always feel like the messenger is delivering the message in the most hostile and manner so that people aren't going to listen? Why does it feel that way? Um, it depends. I think, um, one of the results of being a victim of whatever it is one is a victim of is certain discomfort. Now, that discomfort, and I'm putting it very mildly, okay? Uh, please don't don't mind my word, listeners out there, when I say discomfort. I know it can be trauma. But uh, whatever it is, it's something that's out there, and that manifests itself. It manifests itself as anger. It manifests as frustration, and that gets projected very quickly and very easily. Now, I also think that by the time that somebody has called on somebody else's bullshit, usually it's not the first that we've gone through something. You know, it's not the first time that we've been insulted or that we've been discriminated. It's happened right. time and time and time and time and time again. And we explode. You know, and, and that explosion, that anger, that frustration, that anguish, that is part of the consequences of being hurt. And I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. And, and, and we show it. And it comes off as, as defensive. And it comes off as, as hostile. Because by the time we voice our concerns, we are feeling pretty fed up and sick about it. And we are feeling pretty hostile. And we just want it to end now. And I understand it can be counterproductive at times. But I think people's anger is, is legitimate and, and, you know, it's something that people need to learn to live with. You know, I made you angry. I have to deal with your anger. Okay. So where do we draw the line at social justice warrior versus snowflakeism, right? A lot of times people on the opposite side of the topic see it as snowflakeism. And you know what I mean when I say that? I don't think I need to define that 
Um, actually, I was going to ask you to please define the just in case. Oh, so snowflakeism, or just being a snowflake, is is a term often used by people who want to shut down the conversation in the other direction, right? People will say white privilege in an attempt to just win the argument, and now I don't have to say anything else. Snowflakeism is the term, or snowflake is the term that is used on the other side of the argument to shut down people who feel special or need to feel special or who feel victimized by something that really – somebody else doesn't see as victimization. Okay. So where do we draw the line in legitimately within the hobby? I don't want to have a conversation about anything in the real world. I want mm-hmm. to talk about the hobby. Where do we draw the line between snowflakeism and an actual advocacy? Uh, I think it's a matter of, um, as far as I'm concerned, it's a matter of uh, common sense. Uh, and, and I have a very good example of snowflakeism in, in gaming. Um, when Montecu Games uh, republished The Strange, uh, written by Bruce Cordell, there is a, a, a small portion of the book that creates a... Um, th- there is a world in there um, that basically is Indian American, is, na- is Native American in nature. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a little bit stereotypical. You know, it, it took... The things that everybody thinks they know about um, Native Americans, and, and they use that, you know, like wearing hats with feathers and using the pipe to seal deals and be peaceful with each other, that that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was lame. It, it wasn't it wasn't Bruce's best moment. It, it wasn't horrific by any chance by any means, but it wasn't his best moment. Now, there was a petition by this woman. I believe it was a woman, if I remember correctly. Now, she didn't just call for that paragraph, that part, to be amended. She called for that to be taken out. For the books, I I believe she called for the books to be recalled and reprinted with that bit and for Montague Games to never, ever, ever publish anything regarding Native Americans again, ever. Right. Yeah, I remember this all a bit. You know, and I, I just thought at the time, what the bloody hell are you talking about? That is no flakism at its best. Because she is not saying, hey, you've done something wrong, do it right. Or, or, or if you're going to do it like this, then don't do it anymore. Right. You, know, you are actually saying that company you can no longer hire a Native American person so you can write a whole supplement, perfectly written, respectful to the core, about my culture because I say that you must never write about this. Bollocks. That is no flakeism. That is when we have to use our common sense to say, oh, come on. But there was a lot of bandwagoning, right? A lot of people got on board with her. Yeah. And they they made similar demands and they they were just as angry and I, I'm not going to take away somebody's anger. You can be angry about anything you want to. Um, as as dickish as I am about a lot of things, Paco, I think we know that I let people behave however they want, mm-hmm. and I don't stop a lot of this nonsense. That I, if I were in charge, right, I would love to, but I'm not that guy, so I will never do that. But you see this bandwagoning going on as soon as there's hurt, because I think people want to see it get addressed in a big way. Even if the thing that's happening isn't as bad as everybody's making it out to be, 
Absolutely. And also, let's let's remember that these people, they suffer this kind of discrimination in many areas of their lives, not just right. in gaming. So again, to see it in, 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 a, in an aspect, in, a, in a, a, a portion of their lives that's meant to be safe is very painful. And, and when they channel that pain towards us, that feels very bad. But then they may channel exactly the same pain towards other things, you know, football teams or whatever representation they see in advertising. We just don't happen to see how they channel their energies towards that. We just suffer when, when they do it to, to our hobby. So their, their anger, I'm sure that it is perfectly legitimate, but unfortunately also anger is not the most reasonable of emotions. No, you know, it's a secondhand emotion. It usually is derived from pain. Exactly. You know, something else has happened that has caused you to get angry. Exactly. That, yeah, that's well known. Um, so where does that leave us then? If if we're in a situation where the old guard doesn't want to change or they're having problems changing or they think we made this hobby and now there's no place for us. And I think that's a legitimate thing to at least address. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a legitimate thing to, to agree to 100%, but it should be addressed at some point. Um, the old guard made the hobby and now they're being pushed out of the hobby by forces that are different or they're misunderstood or they're snowflakes or they're actual victims, whatever the term is that you want to use, this advocacy is pushing out the old guard. Does that mean that the hobby eventually overall changes or it fractures in two because these elements are going to continue to fight and make the hobby unsalient? I don't have an answer to that. I I think if somebody wants to continue with bad design and bad writing just because they invented it, good riddance. You know, the the measure of a good artist, of a good writer or, or of a good designer is not in their willingness or stubbornness to remain the way they are. It is in their in, in their ability and willingness to do better and evolve as artists and authors. So for me, if somebody says, I want to keep doing this because this is the way I've been doing it all my life, I'm sorry, you have no respect for as far as I'm concerned. I don't I don't have to respect you. That's as simple as that. But you're entitled to do whatever you want to do. You just have to get used to the idea that less and less people are going to want you there. And that's just the way it is. Right, but what happens? Do you do you not see that some of the sexism that are, that happens at game conventions happens because some of those people are socially maladroit and they used to be accepted in these com- conventions or these in this community and now they're not? Is some of that sexism deriving from that kind of place? I don't know um, because I think when these people don't go to conventions, conventions are better. Okay. Well, what happens to these people, though, that, that are being pushed out because they're socially maladroit and not and they have no other place to go? Well, what happens then? They can either change, or as far as I'm concerned, they can stay in their sitting rooms playing games with their friends. But I'm just... I know this sounds very callous, and I know this Yeah, sounds, and I think that is a callous response. It's yours. Yeah. It's, I'm not going to judge you for it, but I think that is where the biggest problem with this lies, and we're probably going to have to do a part three now just to address that, but go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm just... I am not interested 
in people who rather be sexist and racist and homophobic than evolve into not being so. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not interested in people like that. I, I don't want them in my hobby. They, they, they can get the hell out and find mm-hmm. something else to do or stay in their sitting rooms or in their cellars and do it anywhere else. But I don't want people like that around me. I don't want them in my life at any level whatsoever. Right. Because I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not prepared to tolerate their bigotry. Why should I? I don't owe them anything. Why do I have to put up with bigotry when bigotry has told me to my face, I don't want to change? Why should I be the victim of that? Right. This is complicated, Paco. This is complicated. And we're trying to we're trying to address something I don't even know either one of us are inherently at least I'm not an expert on this. I don't consider myself an expert. Um and I don't know how we address it and any better than we're doing. But I guess the next question is what advice do you give to somebody like me who's in the middle, who behaves properly but isn't an advocate? I don't fight for change. I just behave in the best manner that I can and I still feel like an outsider now in my own hobby. Um you, you see your case is slightly different. Um because I think you do a lot better than most. By nature, you, you just do. You don't have to, to, to make an effort to, 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 to do better because you want to do better. And that's you. You, you, you want to do uh, less racism. You want to see less sexism. You want to see less homophobia and less bigotry by right. your own nature. So you already are doing what, you know, what you're supposed to do. And, and, you know, if everybody behave the same way, we wouldn't have people saying, I want to be the old school and I want to keep seeing this shit. Because people will just strive to do better. That's, that's the, the way you should do. So I, I don't think that you are as much in the middle as you think you are. You I, think you I, are in the middle, but I don't think you are. Well, I appreciate that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little personal now, and you're just going to have to accept it. I don't know if you remember, I made a post on Facebook about two months ago we were talking about art it's what led to the whole representation and art topic Mm -hmm. and i got to a point where i was actually trying to figure out if the left hand side or the right hand side of a page was racist do you remember that i do and that is a stupid thing for me to think right some sort of fucked up rabbit hole led me to that kind of illogic that I would start to even consider that one side one side of the page is racist and one side isn't. And there was a moment there where I wanted to quit doing what I'm doing. And I shouldn't have to feel that way because of the toxic level of the argument. And I'm not saying either side is making the situation toxic. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do, yeah. I'm saying the arguments themselves have become so toxic that we are now in a situation – where the the hobby is just getting ugly and the people in it and this is the point of my post yesterday online the people in it just don't seem to like each other and don't seem to like the hobby anymore they're so busy fighting this topic what i don't have a question here i think i just needed to make a point because i appreciate your answer Mm -hmm. that i'm doing better than most because i want to but i feel like 
this argument drives me further and further away from what I love. You know, I, th- I think there there is a different answer, though, to that. Uh, and maybe this is, I'm not going to say a solution, uh, but maybe this is some help. And is that sometimes what we need to change is not just what we do, but the way we do it. So, you know, for, for anybody out there, if you are uncertain as to whether what you're doing or not is, is, is racist or sexist or whatever it is, Change your method. Ask around. You know, don't, don't, don't do it in isolation. Don't, don't think that what you write, what you do, you are alone because you're not. You know, if, if you're wondering whether uh, putting an image on the left or the right-hand side of, of a book is, is a racist thing to do, ask. Just, just talk. You know, get get it out there and 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 check out. And <laughs> well, that that specific example, I, I don't think either side of the page is racist. No, it isn't. It the, isn't. The fact that I got that worried about my work because of the constant noise is reflective of I'm not concerned about the quality of what I'm doing now. Now I'm concerned about whether or not I'm doing. I'm representing anybody properly. A question I never had to ask myself before these arguments began. You know, I think, um, again, it's a matter of asking around. You know, if you're concerned about whether you're representing somebody um, accurately or respectfully enough, ask around. Uh, And I think it's a matter as well of learning two things. And this is possibly an extremely hard thing to do and a lot easier said than done. But it's a matter of also learning when to ignore criticism uh, and when to take it to heart. Right. And that is a very, th- very, very hard thing. You know, somebody, uh, I was in a, in a convention of uh, three years ago, Nine Worlds, and somebody said, I would like to start a blog, but um, it's pretty much the, the same thing you said, you know, but um, I'm worried about what the responses are going to be because of all the vitriol that goes on sometimes. And I, and I said to this woman, you know, you just have to learn not to give a shit about the comments. You just have to be very comfortable, very, very, right. um, uh, you know, s- securing what you want to say and just say it. You're never going to please everyone. And some people will be nasty about it. Right. You know, don't, don't learn not to give a shit. I don't know, of course, I had somebody who said, but what happens if you give a shit? So well then, <laughs> then good for you. You you give a shit about what you said, just don't give a shit about what people tell you, or, or learn when to give a shit. You know there there are times when um, you make a mistake, you say something that that just doesn't make any sense, and somebody will come and say, "Hey, you, this is not well, the the right way to approach it," or "Have you thought about this way of doing it?" or "This is wrong," and, and this is where you have to look. And then you know it's just a matter of eating a little bit of humble pie, which is not a bad diet sometimes. But I think it's a matter of method, not necessarily of what you want to say. It's just a matter of, right, I'm going to include gay people. Oh, let me check with gay people what they think. That's it. Yeah, and we've talked about that sort of thing before. Um, I think context is everything, and I think we've lost context oh, in yes. the ongoing war to be right. I think people are so quick to want to be right that they don't stop and look at the big picture of things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that just that that conflates some of these arguments and makes things worse. Exactly. But, exactly. And also remember where do you want to be right? 
because uh, the, this is, you know, we don't live in the United States. We don't live in Europe. We don't live in bloody China. We live everywhere. Yeah. So where do you want to be right? Just because something is going on around you doesn't mean that it's going on around anywhere else. Just because something means something to you doesn't mean that it means the same thing to somebody else. So don't expect. Just raise awareness. And, and that's it. This, I think that is one of the biggest problems we have right now. So we talked a lot about a lot of things except for cultural appropriation. I think we barely touched on it, which was what this was all going to be about. True. But um, this is such a big topic, and it's so ongoing going and pervasive. I don't listen to anybody else's podcast. I don't know who's talking about this sort of thing and who isn't. I know my friends on Facebook who are shouting about uh, social advocacy all the time or representation or whatnot. So I see – some of the blog posts that go on out there and I see some of the arguments and it's always distressing to be honest because I I just want to game with the right people I just want to game with people that want to game yeah. anybody that wants to be at my table is welcome and to see this level of fracturing that I, that's going on because nobody likes each other is kind of frustrating well two things about it if it is frustrating for you imagine how it is for the people who actually suffer the sure. issues that they talk about sure. you know that, that's one thing to remember but also i don't think this is um sometimes it happens that there is some sort of echo chamber that's created about the same issues and we hear about the same issues time and time and time and time and time and time and time again right and that is is kind of painful because it becomes a bit oh fuck's like again yeah and we that doesn't allow us to hear the good things that happen in gaming you know, yeah, I don't remember the last time somebody posted something positive or about a great session they had or you know, how yeah. much they appreciate their players or anything like that. Not that I that last one I think I would kind of barf if they posted that, but um I don't remember anybody being happy in a while. And maybe that's just because of who's in my feed or how Facebook algorithm thinks I want to read things, but I don't know because those things do happen. You know, I, I saw an absolutely wonderful post recently about these these guys who've created this um uh, it is is like a trailer, and it's a disabled friendly trailer that goes around to uh, create workshops on gaming and music for people with disabilities. You know, and it's a charity thing, and they were raising funds for that. And I thought, you know, this what a wonderful cause, right? You know, to be able to have this uh, this trailer per perfectly equipped with with tables and guitars and and whatever. Yeah. How I heard nothing about that. You know, how, how amazing is that? That's that's brilliant. So things like that, they do happen. But we get entrenched in this echo chamber of negativity. And, and sometimes I agree, it drags us down, which is which is a pity. That there should be some sort of um, happy games uh, site or something. <laughs> happy game site. Just, just shut the fuck up and game? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> you know, that well, that's what I would name the site. How, how you slayed your dragon. <laughs> So anyway, um, I'll tell you what, we've been at it for just under an hour now. So I think we should we should cover cultural appropriation in the, properly in, in the next episode. Cover. Sure. Uh, so we're going to do this one more time? We're going to do a part three? Yeah, why not? I mean, Okay. Well, uh, just to warn everybody, they don't need to listen again. <laughs> well, no, come on, they do, because we're going to be talking about cultural appropriation 
properly. You know, yeah. and it would be good if we could have, and listeners, please do comment on this. Uh, let, let us have some sort of games that you think have done cultural appropriation in the right way, and some games that have done cultural appropriation in the wrong way. You know, so we can see what the differences are in, in terms of how can one use another's culture properly and what should never be done and why. I think it would be a, a good thing. So please help us, um, listeners, the three of you. Thank you. And um, that's it, really. Shall we, shall we say goodbye? Yeah, you want to tell them who you are and uh, give them your final outro? Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you do that to me all the time. That's such a strange thing. I've never been on the receiving end of this. this yeah, I know. Bizarre. We're going to have to do this again. Yes, next time. Uh, I am Paco Garcia. Uh, thank you very much indeed for listening. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at GMS Magazine. Uh, uh, you can find me in Google+, Plus, although I'm barely there ever anymore because I have way too many social networks. And you can find me in Facebook, where if... Um, you are not an idiot. I will say yes to your friendship and welcome you into my life and my family. And I'm your host, Jim Pinto. You can find me at postworldgames.com. I've never gotten to say that before. No. 